Occasionally, genetic mutations cause a living thing to do something it has never done before. But does that support evolution? Gain-of-function mutations are not evidence for evolution. This week on Creation Magazine Live. The audio podcast that you're about to hear features scientific evidence for biblical creation. For many more evidences for the accuracy of the Bible, visit our website, creation.com. Welcome to Creation Magazine Live. My name is Thomas Bailey. And I'm Matt Bondi. This week, our topic is gain-of-function mutations are not evidence for evolution. So we've given away the conclusion already. Now we'll give you a summary of evidences to support that statement. Right, we'll show examples of genetic change producing features in living things that they haven't done before. Things like bacteria becoming resistant to antibiotics, fish becoming resistant to polluted rivers, sickle cell anemia, beetles on windy islands losing their wings so that they don't get blown off the island and die. These are all new features that resulted from genetic change. Yes, these types of things are often hailed by evolutionists as evidence for evolution. Look, it's evolution happening right before our eyes. You Christians, how silly you are. Can't you see the evidence for evolution happening right here? (laughs) But is that really evolution? We could ask questions like, is all change in living things evidence for evolution? What kinds of changes are evidence for evolution? Are there types of changes that would not be evidence for evolution? Those are some helpful questions to ask, and we're going to ask those questions today as we explore examples of genetic change that evolutionists insist support the evolution of particles into people. Okay, so let's start with the basics. What are mutations and what is the genetic code? Well, the genetic code is like software that runs the hardware of living things. It's a very complex instruction code that directs the activities of cells. Every one of your trillions of cells has the complete genetic code to build and operate you. That code is written on a part of the cell called DNA. And all living things, of course, have DNA. That's right. Genetic mutations are random changes to the genetic code. And that's what evolutionists look to as the main mechanism for evolution. The code changes, which results in new programming, and the organism does something it hasn't done before. Now, without the information written on DNA, life would be impossible. Even if you had all the chemicals to assemble a cell in the hypothetical uh, primordial soup, you still wouldn't have life. It's the instruction code, the information that makes life possible. So let's think for a moment about the type of change that evolution requires. Think of the story of evolution. Let's start with the single cell. Don't ask where that came from, but let's just start there. (laughs) This cell is supposedly going to give rise to all of the life we see on Earth today. Now, think of the genetic code required for that cell. We could represent that here with these books. The cell would have needed the information for things like the thousands of components inside the cell. Even granting that it may have been simpler in the past, for it to be living and to reproduce, it must have been extremely complex. Right. Now, evolution says that the single cell went on over millions of years to evolve into a multicellular creature, for example, like this. So the kinds of changes to the genetic code that would be needed involve adding huge amounts of new, never-before-existing genetic instructions to build all of the things that the single cell didn't have. That's right. The single cell didn't have the genetic instructions for things like hands and fingers, fingernails, muscles, hair, heart, arms, legs, knees, feet. It just wasn't there. 
So then for evolution to work, the central feature, the main thing we should see is that genetic information is increasing to build all of these bigger and better structures that the single cell didn't have. Mm. Scientists haven't found the kind of changes required for evolution. Okay, but let's look at some examples. Let's start with antibiotic resistance. Most of you are probably familiar with that term. It occurs when bacteria are found to be resistant to the antibiotics that are meant to kill them. And that can be very dangerous, even deadly, if you happen to have these resistant bacteria. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this actually happened to uh, Dr. Wieland, the founder of Creation Magazine. He wrote in an article in the magazine about the experience uh, that he had with resistant bacteria. He says, after over 12 years as a medical practitioner, I suddenly found myself an avid consumer rather than a provider of medical care. Involved in a serious road accident in 1986, I spent many months in hospital, including weeks in an intensive care unit. While in intensive care, I became infected with one of the varieties of so-called super germs, which are the scourge of modern hospitals. These are strains of bacteria which are resistant to almost every, and in some cases every, type of antibiotic known to man. He continues... Several others in the same unit with me died as a result of infection by the same bacterial strain. The germs overwhelmed their immune system and invaded their bloodstream, untouched by the most expensive and sophisticated antibiotics available. This super germ problem is an increasingly serious concern in Western countries. It strikes precisely those hospitals which are more high-tech and handle more serious illnesses. Applying more disinfectant is not the answer. Some strains of germs have actually been found thriving in bottles of hospital disinfectant. The more antibacterial chemical weapons that are being used, the more bacteria are becoming resistant to them. The reality of increasing bacterial resistance seems at first to be an ex obvious example of onwards and upwards evolution. But the facts, when carefully examined, show otherwise. <laughs> Okay, he hinted here at the end that this antibiotic resistance is not evidence for evolution. Does that surprise mm -hmm. you? <laughs> Most people have heard through the media and the education system that antibiotic resistance is evidence for evolution. So let's look at why it isn't. Well, for starters, note that there are a number of different ways that these superbugs can become resistant to the antibiotics that are meant to kill them. A superbug is, by definition, resistant to many different antibiotics. It may have become resistant to antibiotic A in one way, to antibiotic B in a completely different way, and to antibiotic C in another way. Mm -hmm. So if we look at all the known ways of resistance arising in a population of germs, let's see if any of them are uphill information-adding processes. Yeah, okay, firstly, some germs already had the resistance. I mean, out of a million bacteria, if five already have a feature that makes them resistant to, say, penicillin, uh, then soaking them in penicillin will kill all of them except for the five. That's right. The body's natural defenses will often mop up such a small population before it can multiply and cause harm. So resistance won't become a problem. Mm -hmm. But if that doesn't happen and those five germs multiply, their offspring will also be resistant and within a short time, there will be millions of germs resistant to penicillin. Okay, a couple things to notice here. Uh, first, this is why multiple resistances to major antibiotics is more common in hospitals which treat more serious conditions. It's because these are the hospitals that will be using the sophisticated, expensive, heavy artillery antibiotics. So this, this sort of natural selection will happen more often. 
And secondly, in this kind of instance, the information to resist the antibiotic was already there in the bacterial population. Mm -hmm. It didn't arise by itself or in response to the antibiotic. So this obviously is not evidence for evolution. No, it's not. Okay, but how do scientists know that some germs were already resistant to man-made <laughs> antibiotics? Well, it's actually common knowledge to microbiologists. Uh, germs and soil samples from villages where modern antibiotics have never been used show that some germs are already resistant to drugs, like methicillin, which has never, been, never existed before in nature. Also, bacteria revived from the frozen intestines of explorers who died in polar expeditions carried resistance to several modern antibiotics, which hadn't even been invented when the explorers died. Okay, so no evidence for evolution here. <laughs> okay, number two, some germs directly transfer the resistance to others. In an amazing process, which is, I guess, the closest thing to sex in bacteria, one germ inserts a tiny tube into another, and a little loop of DNA called a plasmid transfers from one to another. Now, this sort of gene transfer, which can pass on information for resistance to a drug, uh, it can even happen between different species of the same bacteria. But notice again that the information for the resistance must already exist in nature before it can be passed on. Exactly. There's no evidence of anything totally new arising, which was not there before. This is information transfer, not information creation. Right. Okay, now, so far we've dealt with situations in which resistance was already there. The final way in which bacteria can become resistant is through a mutation. But where this happens, there is, once again, no clear-cut evidence of information arising. All these types of mutations appear to be losses of information, uh, de degenerative changes, and those are the kinds of changes that will never evolve a single cell into a human. It's the wrong kind of change. For example, loss of a control gene may enhance resistance to penicillin. Some antibiotics need to be taken into the bacterium to do their work. There are sophisticated chemical pumps in bacteria that can pump nutrients from the outside through the cell wall into the germ's interior. The germs that do this efficiently, when in the presence of one of these antibiotics, is going to pump into themselves their own executioner. <laughs> okay, but what if one of these bacteria inherits a defective gene by way of a DNA copying mistake or a mutation, uh, which will interfere with the efficiency of the pumping mechanism? Well, of course, the bacterium won't be uh, as good at surviving in normal circumstances, but the defect will actually give it a survival advantage when there's a man-made poison right outside the cell. But once again, we see that information has been lost or corrupted, not gained. Antibiotic resistance, while on the surface, seems to provide support for evolution. When you examine why the bacteria are resistant, it's actually going in exactly the opposite direction. Antibiotic resistance doesn't provide evidence for evolution. Uh, it does seem kind of strange, though. I mean, the germs seem to have gained power over the antibiotic. But it's because the mutations that cause the resistance are in some form or another defect. The so-called super germs are not really super at all. They're actually wimpy compared to their close cousins. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Dr. Whelan recalls, when I was finally discharged from hospital, I still had a strain of super germ colonizing my body. Nothing had been able to get rid of it. After months in hospital, however, I was told that all I had to do on going home was to get outdoors a lot, occasionally even roll around in the dirt, and wait. 
In less than two weeks of this advice, the supergerms were gone. Why? The reason is that supergerms are actually defective in other ways, as explained. Therefore, when they are forced to compete with the ordinary bacteria, which normally thrive on our skin, they do not have a chance. They thrive in hospital because all the antibiotics and antiseptics being used there keep wiping out the ordinary bacteria, which would normally outcompete, wipe out, and otherwise keep in check these super wimps. Let's go roll in the dirt. Yeah. <laughs> so they're weaker, and the reason they cause so much death and misery in hospitals is because the normal bacteria have been eliminated in the clean hospital environment. Mm. So the weaker but resistant bacteria are able to thrive. Also, environments that tend to select such resistant germs, like intensive care units, are precisely the places where there will be critically injured people, physically weakened and often with open wounds. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there are four conclusions we can draw. Number one, super germs are actually not super at all. They are generally less hardy and less fit to survive outside of the special conditions in hospitals anyway. Two, there are many instances in which germs become resistant by simple selection of resistance which already existed, including that imported from other bacteria. Mm -hmm. And three, where a uh, mutational defect causes resistance, their survival advantage is always caused by a loss of information. In no case is there any evidence of an uh, information-adding type of you know, uphill change. Four, Super germs give no evidence to sustain the claim that living things evolved from simple to complex by adding information progressively over millions of years. Okay, there are other examples that we'll mention, uh, but we spent a lot of time uh, walking through the details of this example of antibiotic resistance. Uh, why? Because you'll see similarities between this example and the many other examples of genetic change that evolutionists use to try to support the idea that mutations can cause a single cell to eventually turn into a horse or a human. <laughs> right, and it can get complicated because evolutionists focus attention on the new feature, in yeah. this case, resistance to antibiotics, and say that's evolution. It's complicated because the organism is, in fact, doing something it hasn't done before from a certain point of view. Everyone can see that, but when the details are examined, that type of change, even though it's doing something new, is not the kind That's of change right. that evolution needs. Okay, so here's an example of genetic change that was, again, cited as evidence for evolution. This is an example from long ago. Uh, Darwin called attention to wingless beetles on the island of Madeira. It's often windy on Madeira, and many of the normal winged beetles get blown off the island into the ocean and they die. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> there was a mutation that caused some of the beetles to lose the ability to produce wings. The wingless mutant beetles then became the dominant population on the island, and that's still the situation today. So, a genetic mutation causing a loss of wings caused population change over time. So, just like in the example of antibiotics, the beetles have become adapted to their environment, in this case as a result of a mutation. Uh, these wingless beetles are now better adapted to the windy environment than the non-mutant winged beetles. Uh, that's a great example of natural selection and adaptation, but it's not evolution. It's about the kind of change that took place. The beetles used to have wings, now they don't. That's actually the opposite of what evolution needs. They've lost the ability to fly. If they keep losing abilities, eventually they're going to lose the ability to live. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, that sounds more like uh, extinction, not evolution. 
<laughs> By the way, creationists wrote on natural selection and adaptation long before Darwin. Uh, those are scientific facts supported by a lot of good examples. God created living things with the amazing ability to adapt to changing environments without going extinct at the slightest climate change, for example. Uh, it's good engineering. It's exactly what we'd expect if God created. Exactly. That's right. Think of the term beneficial mutation. Evolutionists use that term quite a bit. But is there such a thing as a beneficial mutation? Yes, there is. A beneficial mutation is simply one that makes it possible for its possessors to contribute more offspring to future generations than the creatures that lack the mutation. The mutation in these beetles can be called a beneficial mutation. Uh, I guess, uh, from a certain point of view. Uh, but it's not beneficial for evolution. <laughs> The mutation puts the beetle on the path to extinction. It's becoming genetically worse. And that's the point. At a genetic level, it's going downhill, not uphill. The exact opposite of evolution. That's right. Another famous example is sickle cell anemia. Mm. Sickle cell refers to the shape of the blood cell. This terrible disease causes the normally roundish, donut-shaped red blood cells to take on a sickle shape. And this causes all kinds of problems, including a higher chance of blood clots. Yes, but this is taught as evidence for evolution mm. because the people who have the disease are less susceptible to malaria. Uh, but again, by looking more closely at the details, it's not evidence for evolution. Dr. Felix Konote Ahulu, one of the world's leading experts in sickle cell anemia, says, People who have both the sickle gene and the good gene heterozygosity is the technical term, will have the benefit of suffering neither from sickle cell anemia nor dying from malaria in childhood. They are therefore more likely to pass on their genes to the next generation than those with both of the good genes. Thus, the sickle gene is much commoner in malaria-infested places, especially in Africa. Hmm. So, does this mean that Darwinian evolution is a fact? <laughs> Well, uh, Dr. Konote Ahulu firmly rejects this. He said, Observing selection slash adaptation involving a mutation does not indicate that the more complicated forms seen today arose from simpler forms traced back ultimately to one-cell organisms. Then he cautions, Demonstrating natural selection does not demonstrate that upward evolution is a fact, yet many schoolchildren are taught this as a proof of evolution. He pointed out that the sickle cell gene is still a defect, not an increase in complexity or an improvement in function which is being selected for. And he pointed out the unhappy downside that having more carriers of the sickle cell genes results in more people suffering from this terrible disease. Yeah, and as he mentioned, this is yet another example that is taught as evidence for evolution, but can you see how it isn't? Let's give one more example that was hailed as evidence for evolution. But when scientists dug deeper, it turned out to be evidence against evolution. Yes, Heliobacter pylori is a bacteria that lives in your stomach. It attacks the lining of your stomach and can lead to ulcers and even stomach cancer. Mm. Uh, now it's treated with an antibiotic. And here's how it works. The antibiotic is absorbed into the cell, into the bacteria. And inside the bacteria, there's an enzyme which reacts with the antibiotic and it converts the antibiotic into a poison. 
the poison kills the bacteria. Yes, however, there's a mutant variety of H. pylori. Uh, the mutation causes the bacteria to lose the ability to produce the enzyme. So the antibiotic is not converted into a poison and the bacteria lives. Uh, in other words, it survived because of a loss of function. Notice the similarities here to the other examples we've mentioned. And that is, a loss of something produces a survival advantage. Or let's say something that was working becomes degraded or stops functioning altogether, and that produces a survival advantage. Yes, uh, these are great examples of natural selection and adaptation, but terrible examples of evolution. Uh, evolutionists focus on the new thing that the organism is doing, and from a certain point of view, we could agree that new things are happening, uh, but gain-of-function mutations are not evidence for evolution. That's right. To clarify these examples and how they don't help evolution, we could change the terminology a little. In the case of the H. pylori, for example, instead of saying that the enzyme not metabolizing the antibiotic was H. pylori doing something new, it's perhaps more accurate to say that it's just not doing something old. Mm. That is, something that it did before, which was metabolizing the antibiotic. Right, so uh, then it's not really doing anything new. Uh, you can think of it this way. If I used to run, but then had an injury and am no longer able to run, uh, my not running isn't doing something new. It's not doing something old simply because I've lost that ability. And by the way, adding millions of years isn't the answer. For instance, a challenger might say, mosquitoes have evolved resistance to DDT in just 40 years. If that's not evolution happening before our eyes, what is? Most Christian responses focus on the amount of change. For instance, they will say, well, that's just variation within a kind, or the mosquito is still a mosquito. Yeah, well, both those replies are true, uh, but they're not completely adequate because mm. they miss the main point. It's also rarely impressive to a challenger who thinks, well, give it a million years and imagine what sort of change will happen then. <laughs> The point is the direction of the change. Right. If the sorts of changes that scientists see happening in living things, like the examples we mentioned today, continue for millions of years, those creatures will be extinct. They will not have evolved into something bigger or better or more robust. All groups of living things are getting worse over time, not better. Yeah, that's right. So things like antibiotic resistance are not a gain of function, they are a loss of function. And of course, evolution needs genetic information to increase over time, and science doesn't support that. On the other hand, the creation account in the Bible has the information for all living things appearing right at the start. Genetics and what we know about the information in living things supports the biblical account in this area. Mm -hmm. Genetic information or programming must have been there when things, living things began. Yeah, that's right. Originally, the creation was described as very good by right. God. Uh, there was no sin, death, or disease. Uh, and the Bible also describes the current world as cursed. Mm. And once again, science confirms that. Uh, you know, things are deteriorating. The creation groans. So we would expect to see genetic information getting corrupted. And science supports that. It happens all over the place, really. For those of you who never considered the Bible and the claims that it makes about God, heaven, Jesus, and what happens after we die... Can we encourage you to think about what the Bible says about these things? Mm. Amen. So, we'll see you next week. And remember, Christianity is an evidence-based faith. And science supports Scripture. Both the Creation Magazine Live TV show and this podcast are produced by Creation Ministries International, a global think tank organization dedicated to disseminating the huge amount of scientific evidence for the accuracy of the biblical account of the origin of our universe. 
If you'd like to donate to keep this information coming, go to creation.com slash donate. And thanks for listening. Thank you.